truly are we blessed to have God's Word. So if you'll turn with me in God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 3. We continue our journey together. Today we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. It's another one of those weeks where God has so richly, through His Spirit, preached this sermon all week long to my heart. And oh, how I needed to hear it. Uh, By the way, um, uh, as we continue to try to reach community, uh, there's an opportunity beginning tomorrow where Orangewood is partnering with Habitat for Humanity and Miranda Homes uh, for a 10-day project. If you want to be involved in an opportunity to really literally build our community, go on our website to our bridge building um, uh, section and, and sign up or just go see what God can do through an incredible project like that. You know, one of the real blessings for me this summer, it's been an interesting summer. We don't have offices. We've moved out of offices. I feel completely discombobulated. Uh, It's just a whole different feel. Um, But one of the blessings for this summer have been right here. It's been the faces of these uh, campus ministry outreach folks who are serving the Lord Jesus. They're with Campus Outreach. It's a ministry that was started in a PCA church, Briarwood in Birmingham, Alabama. They're here. About 100 students are here, and they are uh, uh, serving Jesus by working at Disney. And isn't it great having them here in the morning and seeing them worship the Lord? Thank you, guys. Well, one of those who has been worshiping with us is Samson Abebe. As a matter of fact, his parents are here uh, this morning. I don't know where they're sitting. Are they close by? Um, the Abebes are with us, and, and our hearts were broken because Samson's a, a great big young man who suffered a terrible injury this last week and causing serious head trauma, um, and he continues to be in a coma. And he needs our prayers. And I know several of you have heard about this and you have gone uh, to the hospital. And, and Katie and my heart have been broken for this young man. And I can picture him here and worshiping with us. Uh, and just tragic. It's accidents like this. At the prime of our life, we see these young people. And I rejoice. I get so excited. They love the Lord. And you know what, guys? You're kind of cool. You know, you dress kind of hip and you look real cool. And you bring your coffee. And I love the fact that the, the people that are growing up behind you are looking at you. And you worship and you engage in worship. And man, it's been awesome to hear about this tragedy. It does clearly break my heart. You know, this is another one of those tough situations, isn't it? I mean, what do we do with things like this? I mean, what do you do with a young man like Samson, a healthy, young, godly man who serves Jesus, gives up his summer, comes down to Florida, you know, leaves his friends and family, comes down here, and then suffers a tragic accident. And now leaving many to suffer greatly, especially his family. How do we make sense of situations like this? Because they're hard. And really, there's no easy answers. But again, God's Word and the text that we have this morning in 1 Peter will give us some help. And give us some help knowing how to cope. How to cope with the reality that in a fallen world, things like this happen. Let's look at God's Word together. And let's look to the living and active Word of God. And let's look to His Spirit to give us hope and joy and challenge. Let's read God's Word together. I'll read aloud. You can read silently. 1 Peter 3, verse 13 through 16, says this. Who is there to harm you 
if you prove zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And now Peter is going to quote Isaiah 8. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience. So that the thing in which that you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Let us pray together. Now, Father God, it's a typical Sunday. A Sunday when your people come and gather to worship you. And God, we may put on our Sunday best and, and we may look like we have it all together. And we know the reality because of your grace and the work of your Son that we are yours. We know the blessedness that we have of being your sons and daughters. And yet in reality, this Sunday is like every other Sunday. We come hurting. We come broken. We come suffering. Because we live in a broken, sin-torn world. And that sin, although was nailed to the cross in Christ, still is wreaking havoc. And in this world, there's still tragedy to those who love You. God, we pray for Samson and for his family. You are a warrior. You are mighty God. You are the great physician. And as we look into the face of Luke Butler, we are reminded of Your goodness and Your faithfulness to us and we rejoice And God, when we hear of Samson's story, our heart breaks. Oh God, would you come? Would you be Emmanuel, God with us? And would you start now and continue, Father God, by opening up our ears to hear from God, our Father. Opening up our minds to understand. Father, we aren't fully going to get it. We're going to leave here still seeing dimly. But God, expand our minds so that we can have the mind of Christ our Savior and so that we can better understand that You are still good and You are still God. And although we still hurt, that we have a living hope. God, soften our hearts. Don't allow them to become cold and callous and run from You. When the going gets tough, God, run along with us. Break our hearts and remind us of how much You love us. God, empower our feet so that we can walk in the light of Your truth. And so others will see our footprints, the footprints that we follow in those uh, blood-stained footprints of Christ. And others will say, tell me about this living hope. You are our hope. You are our joy. You're all we have. And with you, we have enough. So Father, come with power through the preaching of your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning is going to give us a challenge and it's going to remind us into God's Word that we can truly rest in Him. That we really truly can put our faith in Him. And it's not just in the good times, but when the going gets rough, we still have a God who's a mighty warrior. We still have a God who is Emmanuel, God with us. We still have a tender Savior. And if you look again to God's Word, it begins 
when Peter is exhorting us to, to live out our faith, and Peter's done an incredible job of painting a picture of who we are in Christ. And he tells us these incredible titles, and now he continues to challenge us to live our lives in a way that brings God glory, in a way that others can see Jesus in us. And the way he does it, it's, it's quite unlike some religious zealots, although the word zealous is used right in verse 13. The religious zealots that Jesus is looking for aren't those who fly into plane, uh, their planes in the buildings, aren't those who have jihad with their enemies. It's those who submit to authority. It's those who will humbly follow in his footsteps, even when it hurts. And he starts off in 13 by saying this, listen, you are called to live the good life. And the good life is this, is honoring me with all that you have, with all that you do. The good life is to pursue good works. And so that your life will count. And so others will talk about the name of Jesus. And if you live the good life, who do you have to harm? Who will harm you? It's kind of like this. If you are going down the highway and you see a cop, now do you have fear if you're speeding or fear if you're not speeding? Now, no, it's a hypothetical for all of you law-abiding citizens, I know. But when I see a cop, the first thing I do is, oh, Foot off the accelerator, look down and see how fast am I going and how many miles an hour and how much this ticket's going to cost me. (laughs) By God's grace, I haven't had one in years as far as you know. (laughs) But if you're going the speed limit and if you're obeying the rules, what do you have to fear? And, And really what God's word is telling us in verse 13, listen, who is there to harm you if you prove to do zealous for what is good? Isn't it incredible? God says, I want you to have a zeal to do the right thing. I want you to have a zeal to honor me. And, and really, when you do this, you're not going to put yourself in harm's way of your neighbor. Because what I'm doing, I'm calling you to do is to love your neighbor. Love him radically. Love him as much as you love your own self. Seek his own needs as much as you seek your own. Be a law-abiding citizen. Submit to authority. And God's word says, listen, if you do this, really, what harm's going to come to you? You're going to be blessed and you're going to find God's favor and you're going to be kind of living your life inside the lines. But what about when we do it and it still hurts? What about when we're doing the right thing and we still suffer? You see, God first calls us that there should be a resting through our work. God has called us to live in a way that pleases Him. In a way that uh, um, we don't have to be worried about what we're doing. There's no, no shame in our behavior. God's saying this, live your life with purity. And if you do, you don't have to be ashamed. I mentioned earlier that we're completely discombobulated. Thanks for coming to church. I show up every Sunday saying, please, Lord, may there be people here. We don't have offices. I'm not sure what I'm doing. And uh, I've been working out of boxes and I'm having meetings up in my home study. And, and I'm meeting people there from the church and outside the church. And there are boxes all over. And do you know that we have some church staff members here that thought it would be a funny idea to mark some of Jeff's books or, or some boxes and special code to write certain uh, descriptions of what might be in those boxes. Things like Southern Comfort, you know, or uh, <laughs> Stolen Petty Cash. Uh, um, and listen... I'm not going to point fingers here, so I'm going to name names. I think it's Jim Johnston, personally. And there's a box behind my desk, and I kid you not, 
uh, I, I get done with the meeting and the, and the, the people dismiss and they are not orange with people. And I look over and I'm thinking, man, my office is kind of messy. It's all boxes. And you know what one box says? Playboy magazines. <laughs> I think this pastor, I heard about these guys, but. It got so bad that finally uh, Katie uh, provided some help and came up and we're going through boxes and we're throwing out all kinds of stuff. And, you know, there was a moment when I realized that by God's grace, by God's grace, I could have her go through my stuff and not be ashamed. Not worry. Oh, gosh, I hope she doesn't see that. I hope, that, I hope I'm not going to be found out over here. I mean, it's kind of like uh, if you right now were to turn your computer over to your pastor, uh, would you be ashamed? Is there anything on there that as we go through your history, you say, oh, man, I don't want them to find that out. You see, there's a beauty in trying to live our lives in a way that honors God. It comes without, it handles. It comes without us having to worry uh, about uh, being found out. I tell you, my life hasn't always been that way, and it's still a struggle to get that way. And believe me, I'm a work in progress, and you know that all too well. I, I remember... I remember being in elementary school and, and my parents going to a teacher's conference and, and they came home with that look on their face, which they did most of the time. They went and met my, my teachers. Kind of like, I can't believe you. And what they did is they, they looked at my desk and, and, I, and I wasn't the brightest kid. Uh, I didn't clean out my desk before my parents come. And you want to think, you know, hey, maybe there might be some things your parents might go to a conference. They may actually look in your desk. It didn't hit me. It probably hit you. But what did they find in there? I mean, there, there were some notes that my parents say, I want to talk to you about some of the conversations you're having. And I was ashamed. And I couldn't wiggle out of it. And God is calling us to live our lives in a way we do not have to be entangled by sin. Listen, Orangewood, please, I love you. and I, We need to hear this. Sin entangles us. The writer of Hebrews says, sin that so easily entangles us, it, it slows us down. It's, it's going to catch up to us. Sin is going to, it's going to wreak havoc in our lives. And God's saying, I want you to live a holy and pure life so that you and I can have life and life abundantly. Not so we miss out, so we won't get tripped up. So we can live our lives with a clear conscience, not worrying that someone's going to find us out. Because sin will always draw us into the shadows. Sin will always make us want to hide from God and hide from others. And God says, live a life that's pleasing to me. And then what harm will come to you? You will be blessed and blessed abundantly. Sin will entangle us, and it often does. But God calls us to have a zeal for what is good. And if we do, we will be blessed. We will be set free from sin's bondage. But what if we do, and we still suffer? What happens when you have a zeal to do what's good, and things don't do go well? What happens when we do still suffer? You know what we do, Christian? We sing. We sing through the pain. Look again at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness. Now we got to look at that word righteousness. It's not self-righteousness. It's not doing what's right in your own eyes. This is a righteousness that looks first and foremost for God's glory and your neighbor's good. And God's word is so wonderfully practical to us because it's going to say, you know what, you do the right thing and it should go well, but you live in a sin-torn world. And when you do the right thing and you suffer, you haven't lost God's blessing. Now, somehow in Christendom, we've lost this. We believe if we do the right thing and suffer, that somehow God must be mad at us. 
Somehow he must be trying to get even with us. Somehow we're not giving enough. We're not praying enough. We're not doing enough. Somehow we have missed God's blessing if we suffer. And that's just not true. It's through suffering often, almost mostly, that we find God's pleasure. That we find a community with Him and a fellowship with Him. It's actually through suffering. And he says this, you haven't lost the blessing. Blessed are you who do the right thing and still suffer. So what do we need to do? We need to sing through the pain. Because we are still blessed by God. You know that Peter was thinking of a sermon that he heard from Jesus himself. A sermon recorded in Matthew chapter 5. Turn with me if you have your Bibles to Matthew 5. Our worship team just sung these. These are the Beatitudes. But Matthew 5 verse 10. Blessed, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. These are those who are doing the right thing, who are trying to honor God with their lives, who are pursuing the glory of God, and yet they suffer. And God's Word says you haven't lost your blessing. You are blessed. For yours is the kingdom of God. It's good news. God's Word basically says this. Doing the right thing should cause you a good life. But you know what? You still might suffer. When you suffer and you have pain, don't forget you're blessed. You still are called to sing. But it's not a solo. It's not a solo. You see, we go through life and we're striving after God's glory and we, we, we uh, suffer. And by the way, a little side note, we suffer in life no matter what. Our neighbors who don't know God are going to suffer. And we suffer oftentimes because we bring it on our own selves. We do the wrong thing. And sin, how often has consequences? Always has consequences. But this specifically is suffering for righteousness' sake. But we are still called to sing. But the song that we sing is not a solo. We sing with those around us. With those who are suffering as well. This is a family tune. A very familiar tune. And I I come in here on a Sunday morning, don't you? I mean, don't you look around and look at each other's faces and say, man, those stories I know, and there's pain there. And they're singing too. And and I join their voice. We sing this song together. That's why he's called us to be a family. That's why he's called us to be a community. But there's incredible news that this is not supposed to be a solo. God doesn't want you to sing in the pain by yourself. He wants us to sing together. And the one who exhorts us to sing through the pain is one who has experienced pain himself. Have you ever had someone tell you what to do in a certain situation and you know they've never been there? And you know, and it's really irritating, isn't it? And they want to give you some great advice and tell you how you feel and how you should react. And you're saying, listen, pal, appreciate it, but really you have never been in my shoes. You don't know. But when we hear these words from Peter, although they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, it has further punch because Peter himself learned to sing through suffering. He knew this tune himself. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. As the early church is unfolding, and as even the religious authorities were trying to keep these Christian zealots from spreading the good news of Christ, in Acts chapter 5, Peter and some of the other apostles were brought in before the Sanhedrin and they were questioned. You look in verse 29 and they were said, listen, we want you to quit talking about this Jesus character. All right. I mean, you're doing some really incredible things and just, just be quiet. Just shut up. Peter says, listen, you may want to judge for yourself, but we got to obey God and, and, 
And we can't help but tell this story. It's changed our lives. In verse 40, uh, they had the counsel of, of the saying, let's beat these apostles. And so that they were flogged. And they ordered them again not to speak in Jesus' name. And they released them. And they get to verse 41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council. And what were they doing? They were not licking their wounds, but they were singing in the pain. They were rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. You see, Peter is telling us to sing. He's telling us to sing a song. He says, you haven't lost your blessing, but let me let you know that my voice is singing this too. This is an exhortation that he's had to learn firsthand experience. He heard the sermon. He heard Jesus say, hey, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And then he lived the sermon. And then he lived it out. He says, you know what? I got reason to sing because what I have in Christ, I cannot lose And this new life that I have in Christ, it has changed me from the inside out. And I got an inheritance that won't fade away. And I have a future that cannot be touched. And I have a relationship with the God who is. And I will sing. I may have tears on my cheeks. And I may have an empty bank account. And I may have sorrow in my family. But I will sing to my Savior because He lives. And even if I'm beaten, I will continue to sing this song. You see, there's more. There's more than the reality that we don't have to sing this song as a solo. And there's more than the reality that we have those like Peter who sing this song with us. We have a Savior, Jesus Himself, who has learned to sing through pain. You look at Psalm 22. One of the most vivid prophetic psalms of Jesus' coming and what His earthly ministry will be like and reflected in the life of David. And yet you turn to Psalm 22 in verses 1 and 2 and you read this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you heard those words before? Was that not the song of our Savior on the cross? Was that not the song of a suffering servant who would cry out saying, My God, my God, why? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Jesus himself, the one who created all things. Isn't it amazing? God himself entered into suffering. The one who would never suffer unless he entered into humanity. Knows our pain. Entered into our pain. The one who's the creator God experienced the most pain of anyone who has ever lived. And yet he sings, verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you and I will sing. And the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, makes this clear where he picks up on Psalm 22. And he says in Hebrews 2, listen to this, Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting for Him for whom are all things and through whom all things are... Let me restart that again. For it was fitting for Him for whom are all things and through whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the authority of their salvation through sufferings. For both He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified 
are all from one Father, for which reason He is not ashamed. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. This is what God's Word is telling us. He's telling us to sing in the midst of pain because we are blessed and we have a hope. We have those like Peter who have gone before us. But there's more. We have a Savior who sings among us, who sings with us, who was wounded and suffered for righteousness, and who leads the chorus of our singing. Peter not only tells us that we're blessed if we suffer for righteousness, he tells us that we are not to fear that which the world fears that we are not to be troubled or storm-tossed. And that is why he's quoting again Isaiah 8. Isaiah 8, verses 12 and 13 say this. You are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all these people and call a conspiracy. And listen, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And He shall be your fear. And He shall be your dread. Here's the bottom line of what Peter is saying is this. Listen, you may suffer for doing the right thing, but you shouldn't fear the world. You shouldn't fear what they fear. You may lose what you have in the stock market. You may lose a loved one. You may experience great heartache in this world, but you're not to fear like the world fears because I'm with you and I'm your God. You are to fear me. You're to have reverence and awe for me. And listen, if we understand who God is and we fear Him and love Him and serve Him and respect Him, the world's fears should grow strangely dim. And we know that we are His. So dim that we should be able to sleep through the storms of life. Turn back with me to 1 Peter. Let's look at the last part of verse 14. He says that we're going to suffer for righteousness' sake, but we're still blessed. He says, don't be troubled Do not fear. Do not be storm-tossed, basically. And it makes me think of the familiar story that that the Gospels tell us of Jesus in that storm-tossed boat. Let's look together at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. It's a story of these fishermen who are very familiar with being in a boat, and yet a storm that frighten them to death. Mark 4, verse 35. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boats. Can you picture it? So much of the boat was already filling up. Here it is, the the mist and the wind and and, and the wind and the waves. Uh, And here are these fishermen scared to death. But here you find Jesus in verse 38. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid and they said to one another, who is this? 
that even the wind and the sea obey him. Don't you even care that we're perishing? You ever feel like you're perishing and God's asleep? You ever been in that boat? Your whole life is just rocking like crazy. You're already taking water. The bills are coming in. You can't pay them. Your marriage is in trouble. I mean, your life is being torn upside down and God seems to be asleep. Does He not even care? Does He not even notice? You know the reality of that story? It's just, it's just, I'm seeing it from a whole different dimension. They got Jesus in the boat. They got Emmanuel. They they got the Word made flesh. They got God in the boat. And they're afraid. As if they're going to perish. As if He's going to let them go. As if He's going to stop loving them. You know where they should have been? They should have been asleep too. I mean, really, they should be sleeping too. I mean, they, they got God with them. He is going to rescue them. And somehow they felt like they had to do it all on their own. And they couldn't. They had to cry out, God, don't you care? We're perishing. Just even in the last couple of weeks, as, as, as things started to mount around my life, and I looked at all the details of being a pastor of this church and all of our dreams and our hopes and I, all the needs of my family, and I'm crying out, God, do you not care that I'm drowning here? It seems like you're asleep. It's, no, no, I'm just at peace. I'm just in control. You're just working like crazy. And you just forgot who the captain is. You just forgot. I mean, come in. Come, come, let me show you the big picture. You're, you're mine, and I'm never going to let you go. I'm gonna, I promise you, you're going to get to your destination. I promise you, the bride of Christ is mine. It's not yours. Take your hands off and rest and sleep in the midst of the storm. What an incredible challenge for us. Are there storms in life? Look to your Savior and there's incredible peace here. Listen, in Christ, listen, here's what we got to hear. In Christ, we have what we cannot lose. Listen, in Christ, we have what we cannot lose. No matter what we suffer in life, no matter what this life brings us, in Christ, we have what we cannot lose. Look at verse, let's go back to 1 Peter. Let's remind us where we started. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance inheritance which is imperishable, and undefiled and will not fade away. It is reserved for you in heaven who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's what God's Word says to us. You are mine, God's people. You are mine. You are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. You have an inheritance. It can't fade away. Nothing can destroy it. I will never let you go I will always be with you I will never forsake you any fire I'm going to be there with you and one day we'll be together face to face he doesn't promise all the stuff alongside the peripheral stuff is going to fade away and we might lose it and some things that might be very near and dear to us but who we are in Christ and whose we are in Christ we can never lose 
talk about hope. It says here we have a living hope. This truly gives us a living hope. A hope that sets us apart from everyone else. And a hope that is only ours if we set up Jesus as Lord in our heart. Hope, is it in you? You know the Gatorade commercial? Gatorade is in you. You have this athlete who's, who's working hard and he's expending or she's expending a lot of energy. And, and there's this question, Gatorade, is it in you? Because you're not going to be able to make it if you don't, is what they're implying. But really, we don't need Gatorade. We need a living hope. A living hope that we can only find in the face of Jesus Christ. Is that hope in you? And the only way it's in you is seen in verse 15. 3 verse 15a. But sanctify, set apart as holy. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. This is where it all begins. This is where it all hinges. It's realizing that we need to have a Savior in our lives. We need to have Jesus be Lord of our very own hearts. He needs to be in control. We need to live our lives not by saying, I'm going to let go and let God. But by saying, I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to be trusting in Him. He is my hope. It's His blood that has cleansed me from my filth. It's His righteousness that clothes me so I can stand in a a holy God's gaze. I am born again by His grace through the work of His Son. And I am empowered and dwelled by His Holy Spirit. He is my hope. And He is the one that I have set apart in my heart. And if so, we can say things like this, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. It's with this mindset as a church we say things like this, for Christ and His kingdom, it's not about us. Have you sanctified Christ as Lord in your heart? Is He at the control? Is He the one you're bowing down and surrendering your life to? Because if He is, you have a living hope that will not die. And the world should see that living hope. Because we will be speaking through our actions. Verse 15b and 16. If we sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, always be ready to make a defense or give an apology. This is a word we get apologetics from. To defend our faith. Always be ready, Christian, every single one of us, to make a defense to everyone who asked. To give an account for the hope that is in you. He tells us how to do it with gentleness and reverence and with a good conscience. There's a litmus test. Have you sanctified Christ as Lord in your heart? Here is the litmus test. If you aren't asked to give an account for the hope that is in your life, let me encourage you to search your heart and to make sure that Jesus really is Lord of your heart. Because if Jesus is Lord of your heart, you will be asked. Because we all are going to suffer. And you're going to go on summer mission trips and bad things are going to happen and good people are going to get cancer and we're going to lose some of our young people and we're going to suffer together and yet we're going to gather here and we're going to sing and the world's going to say, what are they? Are they lunatics? Have they lost reality? How can they still sing in the pain? How can they still sleep in the midst of the storm? And we're going to say, because we got a living hope. They have to see a difference. If the world isn't asking about our living hope, we're not living sanctifying Christ as Savior. Are you being asked about that living hope? 
Use it as a litmus test. You see, the world doesn't have this hope. It can't have this hope. We all suffer. They suffer too. God's people will suffer, but we suffer with hope. It's a living hope. And our actions should sing of this hope. How in the world, Orangewood, can we sleep in the midst of a storm? It's because God is in this vessel. Because God is in this vessel through His Holy Spirit. And I have peace that passes understanding. And that is when we sanctify Christ as Lord and we speak through our actions and there's a hope that is seen. And it says this, the sermon that we must preach is with our lives. And if we preach it with our lives, we should be ready with our tongues to give an account. Isn't that great news? Don't preach it with your mouth and then try to explain it. Preach it with your life. And then when they ask, what is up with you? Be ready. And here's what it says. Be ready with gentleness and reverence. And this is the only way a true believer can speak, is it not? What do we have to boast about? Everything I have in Christ is by His grace. Everything of who I am is because of His love. I boast in nothing but the fact that there's a Father who set an eternal love on me and on you, my brother and sister in Christ. It's by His grace through faith that we're saved. It's by His grace and mercy that He sent His, Lord, His Son, our Lord Jesus, to us. We are who we are because of His mercy and grace and the work of His Son. Therefore, with gentleness, not with pride, not with arrogance, not with a hammer, but with gentleness, we give an account of the hope that is with us and with reverence and fear of our God and knowing that an image bearer stands before us. Speaking with good conscience in verse 16. Hypocrisy has been the greatest muzzle of the church. Hypocrisy, those living a life that doesn't match what our lips say. Let us not let hypocrisy muffle our song. May our lifestyle match our good account that Jesus is Lord. We're going to sing, we're going to close with singing a song that reminds us that our God sings with us. So as the worship team comes forward, we've already sung that our God is a warrior. We already sung the reality that our God is a warrior. And thank God that our God is a warrior because He has battled and defeated His and our greatest enemy, Satan, sin and death. And we now have life that reigns in us because God is a warrior. But God is not just a warrior. God is also, our Savior is also a singer. And He is the one, Jesus is the one who has suffered to give us a living hope. He sings with us. Orangewood, listen. He sings with us. Listen for His voice as we sing. He sings for us and with us. And He suffers. And He now lives to intercede for us. And He will guide us home. Let us pray. Father God, we live in a place that hurts. And even doing the right thing, even trying to live for you in your glory, we still suffer. But we thank you that we haven't lost our blessing, that we're still blessed. And Jesus, we thank you that you have given us the ability to sing in the midst of the pain. And not just to hear us sing, but to suffer and to join us. And not just to join us, but to lead us and to sing over us and to rejoice over us and to lead us home. Oh, Father, oh, how we need to hear your voice as we continue to hurt 
as we find our way home. Thank you that we'll make it through the power of Christ, we pray. Amen.